0: Thank you. It just keeps going. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, we're, we're coming to the end of our Live Like Jesus series today. And it's been a great series. We've really enjoyed preaching it. But I th- tell you, the thing that I'm going to miss most about it is that bumper music. Like, baseball players have walk-in music when they're coming up to bat. I think preachers need walk-in music, too. And that's been some, some great walk-up music over the last eight months. Yeah. Eight weeks. That's it. Hey, let me pray. Father, uh. So we come into this moment. Um, Lord, I pray that our heart and our affections will be turned towards you and what you want to do in our lives, how you want to take this faith um, that we have, that you have given us, and... And use it not just for, for us, but to really allow our faith and our lives to make a difference in the lives of others. We live in a world that is just, it is hurting and it is broken and you have mobilized your people, your church to go out and to make a difference. And so Father, may this be a church that takes that call seriously, not just as, as a body of Christ, but as individual members of it, that we will understand that, that being a part of you is not just what we do on Sunday mornings. It's about how we live out our faith every day of the week, to make a difference in this world for you, for your kingdom. And we do that, Lord, by serving others. And so may our hearts just be attuned to you and what your Holy Spirit wants to teach us this morning. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So on the evening of March 20th, 2012, I received an email uh, that changed our family forever. There's a lady in our church named Julie, and she just simply wrote, Hey, Sean, can you give me a call in the morning? Uh, There's something that that I want to talk to you about. And So there wasn't really any other context to the email than that, other than just, Hey, call me in the morning. And so not knowing what the call would be about, I just prayed for Julie. I prayed for her family, and I prayed for wisdom for for me, just to have the right words to be able to, to say to her. And so the next day was Wednesday, and I called her, and Julie took my, my call. And uh, after a little bit of small talk, she said, So, Sean, I've, I've got a question for you. She said, I know that you and your wife are foster parents, but have you ever considered adoption? And I gotta be honest, it's not at all where I thought that conversation was going to go, and so I was a little taken back by it, and I said, well, actually, we, we have. I mean, not, not only, you know, Julie knew a little bit of our, our own personal struggles and our journey through foster care and all of that, not, not only because of that, but just because we, we feel like, you know, this could be where the, the Lord is, is leading us as a family, and so I said, you know, we, we might be interested. Tell me why you're asking me this, and she told me about her 17-year-old niece, Olivia, who was pregnant And she knew that she would not be able to provide a family for this child that the child deserved. Um, But she she knew that uh, she had to do something quickly because at this point she was six months pregnant. And so baby's coming. We need to figure out what we're doing here. And so Julie said, just let me know. And we're like, okay, let, let me go back. I'll talk to Amber. We'll pray about it. And I'll, I'll let you know. It was a pretty easy conversation for us. We, we knew that this is where God was, was leading us. We'd made a commitment uh, long, long before, even as we went through the foster care journey, we'd made a commitment that we were just going to keep saying yes until God told us no. Because I think oftentimes when like, we're following Jesus, we just kind of like, God, I'm going to say no until I hear a really clear yes from you. And we're like you know we're just going to we're going to flip that. We're just going to keep saying yes until we hear God say no. And so for us it was all right. Let's see where this goes. And that next Sunday, March 25th, 2012, Amber and I met with Olivia at a Starbucks in Terre Haute. And Olivia at the end of that conversation said, "I want you guys to provide a family for this child that I can't." It was just one of the best uh, pieces of news that we had ever heard. We were so excited. We were driving back. We were living in Owensboro, Kentucky at the time. We were driving back from, from Terre Haute to Owensboro, and we were just elated. Uh, but somewhere between Sullivan and Vincennes, it hit us, whoa, she is six months pregnant. Like, there's a reason why God gives a nine-month heads up that a baby's coming. And like, we need to get busy, you know, not only do we need to start getting ready for a baby, but we need to um, start the the adoption process and all of the work that goes into that, and if you've been through it, you know, that can be just exhausting, the amount of paperwork and home studies and everything that you have to do, and, you know, this was involving two states, which was only going to complicate it, but we just started praying, God, make a way, make a way, make a way, and he did. God opened up so many doors for us, he cleared so many paths, uh, which is really good, because on May 12th, 2012, Adeline Olivia Green was born, seven weeks premature. And uh, so we were so blessed, we were so blessed to be able to be in the hospital when she was born and to be the first ones that got to hold our newborn daughter. And so the, the hospital, you know, again, she because she was born seven weeks premature, um, there was a hospital stay that was, that was, you know, coming up. And in fact, she ended up being in the NICU for four weeks. And during that first week, the hospital was so generous. They were so gracious. They're like, hey, we'll put you up in a room here in the hospital. Um, that way you can be close for, you know, to feed her and to hold her and to change her diapers. And we're like, yay, we're parents. All right. So we went and we stayed in the hospital um, room for that week and we got to to take care of our daughter. And, you know, it was just a mix of late nights and early mornings and, uh, you know, just the stress of like filling out all of the, the adoption paperwork uh, and, and just all kind of caught up to us. And Amber just was not feeling really well. And, and Adeline was born on a Saturday. That following Saturday, I said, you know, I just need to get out of here and go get some fresh air. And so I went on a run and I came back and Amber said, hey, I, uh, I want to show you something. <laughs> She pulled out her phone and she showed me a picture of a positive pregnancy test. <laughs> and so, a week after Adeline was born, we found out that we were pregnant. And eight months and four days later, Nora Ruth was born. And we were thrilled. All of us, except for maybe one person. Can we get a closer look there of Adeline? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the look of what is this thing and how do we return it? (laughs) I think Nora's actually in this service right now who was the the little girl that was born. And Nora, we love you. That wasn't how we felt. Uh, We're glad that you're a part of our family. The last seven years have been just a roller coaster ride. It has been uh, full of ups and downs, but it's been so good. We would not trade it for anything in the world. And in this journey for us, it started not when Julie sent that email, not not when we went through our own pregnancy struggles, not even when we decided to go through foster care um, courses and become foster parents. This journey for us started all the way back one night when we made a decision, we want our lives to make a difference in the lives of at-risk children. Like whatever that is going to look like, God, we are gonna say yes until you tell us to say no. And so we want our lives to make a difference in at-risk children. And, and we started looking around us and we saw all of these families that, that were surrounding us that, that, that foster care and adoption were such a big part of their story. And these were families that we deeply admired and looked up to for their family and for their faith. We, we were convicted by scripture that challenged us, that, 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 that faith that is pure, is faith that cares for widows and orphans in their distress. And in its purest form, faith is about caring for widows and orphans in their distress. And we were motivated by the thought that when you really get to the essence of the gospel, when you really get to the essence of the Christian faith, the message that you find is that a loving God adopted us into his family yeah. through the blood of Jesus. So we thought... What better way to live out our faith than to serve at-risk families and children? God's been taking us on a ride ever since. November is Adoption Awareness Month. And if you're here today and you've been considering adoption, uh, if you are maybe currently going through the process of adoption, um, maybe you know someone, love someone who is going through that right now, We want to let you know that as a church, we want to come alongside of you, uh, not just to pray for you, not just to provide you emotional and spiritual support. But I love this. I love this about our elders. Our elders have, have set aside a portion of our budget every single year so that we as a church can financially come alongside of families who are entering into the adoption process. And so if that's you and, and you would like to, to, to take advantage of that, we want to come alongside of you. There's there's an application process, and if you're going through the process, you're like, oh great, another application, yay. But this one won't cost you like $500 to fill out, okay? I promise you can fill that out, you can pick it up in our lobby this morning. It's just a process that we go through so that we can have good accountability on that, and uh, and, and we'll see if we can come alongside of you and help out with that. But we want to be a church that supports um, adoptive parents, uh, not just just emotionally and spiritually, but also financially. So check check that out. And if you're here today and you're like, you know, I don't know that really adoption or foster care is, is what God has for me, but I want to serve uh, these at-risk families in some way, then, then we've got a great service for you today. I'm looking forward. We, we, you can tell with the chairs here, it's going to be a little bit unique. Uh, we've got some folks who are engaged in this that just want to share with you what they're doing and how you can partner and join them in that and all of this is because we are coming to the, the, this, the finale of this series called Live Like Jesus. And I'll tell you, I cannot think of a better way to end a sermon series on what it's like to live like Jesus than to talk about how we have been sent out into this world to serve others. We've been sent out into this world to serve others. We've been saying all along throughout this series that uh, the word discipleship and you know, we make it a lot of different things, but really when you get down to the heart of it, the word discipleship means becoming like Jesus in attitude and in action. That's it. It's just becoming more like Jesus in our attitude and in our action. I got to be honest, I, don't, I cannot think of a better word to describe Jesus' attitude and action than the word Servant. If you really want to just capture who Jesus was in one single word, there is no better word in our English language than the word servant to capture Jesus' attitude and action. And if you want to really pinpoint what does it mean for us as a church to live like Jesus, not just here when we sit in the pew and we worship, but when we go out into this world, what does it mean for us to take on the attitude and action of Jesus? There is no better word to describe that than the word servant. Jesus tells us that this is how he came. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Did not come to be served, even though Jesus had every right to demand that we served him. He left his throne in heaven, came down, and walked amongst us. But Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many. In this prayer that Jesus uh, prays in John 17 that we've been studying over the last several weeks, we, we get this inside look into an intimate moment between the Father and the Son. And Jesus says, as you, Father, sent me into this world, I am sending them. And what he means by that is not just that, that, that he's taking what God did for him, and now he's sending us out, like the action of it. But he's also saying, as I came into this world, I am now sending them into the world. Meaning, like who he is, his essence, he is now sending that in us out to this world. And to be sure that we understood the posture and the position that he is sending us out with. Jesus got down on his hands and his knees and he washed his disciples' feet just hours before praying this prayer. And this is what he says. He says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I've set you this example of humbly serving others. Now you go and do it. He's saying, go and serve. Serve others how I have served you. Put the needs of others above your own just as I have put your needs above mine. Jesus, who was sent to serve, is now sending us out into this world to serve others. And the entire premise of this series, that we've been in for the last eight weeks could be boiled down to this one simple statement. If you want to live like Jesus, go out and humbly serve others. That's it. If you want to truly live like Jesus and take on his attitude and his actions, then go out into this world and serve others. Amen. Have a great day. Like we can just wrap it up right there. Oh, but I've got more. All right, hang tight. If you want to live like Jesus, go out and humbly serve others. And, and one of the most impactful ways that you can do that is by serving at-risk families, coming alongside of those who are, are doing it. And I am so excited today for you to hear from some, some good folks who are doing this. So would you please help me welcome to the stage Greg Butler, uh, Ben and Angie Geiger, and Cindy Tyree. Guys, come on up. Good morning, again, for the third time. <laughs> Last one, you guys are in the home stretch. You've done a great job. Uh, so thanks for joining us up on stage today, just to share a little bit about what you're doing to, to serve at-risk children and families. And let's just kind of go down the line, introduce yourself and, and talk about uh, how you have stepped into to a ministry like this. So Cindy, start us off. My
1: name is Cindy Tyree and I am an adoptive mom. And in addition to that, does this on? Does
0: this sound I like think
1: it's on. We're good. Now it's on. Okay. Thank <laughs> you. In addition to being an adoptive mom, I've had the privilege of uh, volunteering with an organization in the last four or five years called Safe Families for Children. And if you don't know what Safe Families for Children is, it really is a movement of volunteers—really the body of Christ that provide a safe place for kids when a parent who is facing crisis, whether unemployment, homelessness, hospitalization or something else, call for help. They're voluntarily calling and asking, um, can you help me? And so we have host families who host kids in their homes while parents deal with crisis Mm -hmm. uh, with the goal of reunification and kids getting to be with mom and dad after the crisis is over. So it's been a great privilege.
0: Very good, thank you.
2: We are Ben and Angie Geiger, and um, we do foster care. So we do temporary housing for kids who have been removed from the home and um, are kind of in that process, seeing if they'll be reunified, or the other option is that they'll go pre-adoptive eventually. So that's how we serve.
3: We've done it for about two years now, and it's been awesome. Um, I'd say about five kids come through, if you you count respite care. So just in two years, a lot of great experiences. It's been awesome.
4: My name is Greg Butler and I'm a a CASA, a court-appointed special advocate for children with a 100% focus on the children.
0: So Angie and Ben, share with us what got you into becoming um, foster parents and just entering into this, this journey of providing care for children in need.
2: Okay, so, so this one's kind of on my shoulders, but he's been amazing to walk with us. Um, but from the time I was really young, we did kinship care for my cousins uh, who were removed kind of on and off as my aunt struggled with addiction. And um, I told them at the last service, I think I was maybe five or six, and sharing a room with my cousin. And I remember just kind of being up, laying in bed thinking, if she wasn't here, where would she be? And the idea of just... A kid, because I was one, kind of just going to a stranger's house, like here, this this is better somehow. Um, just didn't really resonate and make sense to me. And then as I got older and was learning more and more about it, I just knew it was a way I wanted to help and serve when I was older. So when we were dating, even then, I, I was. Um, God had laid it so heavy on my heart. I knew I couldn't ignore that. It was, it was going to be something I'd have to follow through with. So trying to be fair with someone I was dating, I just kind of said, at some point, I'm going to do foster care and hopefully adopt. Are you on board with that? Because if not, like, we really can't take this any further, um, which graciously, he's always been super supportive. Um, and I. I think she's
3: very attractive. <laughs> No, so, and for me personally, you know, I've never, calling, you know, is a word. I went to a Bible college. People always use that term calling. I've never specifically felt called by God to necessarily a specific direction. Um, But the one area I do feel specifically called is I'm supposed to obey my father. Um, I'm supposed to obey my heavenly father. And um, so he's obviously much bigger than me. And so the key to me is, am I obedient when he does speak to me? And just the passion and heart he's put in her for this, it was very obvious that this was an area where God was speaking to me. And, um, and so once again, you know, I would, the overall desire originated in her through God. Um, but being obedient to that has been awesome. Like I said, two years, several kids, and, um, and I've just loved it.
2: Can I just say, because I don't want to also make that overcomplicated. at the end of the day, like God's called us to care for orphans and kids need a safe, loving home. And I have a safe, loving home and it just can be that simple. Uh, like I said, it was on my heart for years, but at the same time, there are other things that God just kind of prompts you. I've called you to this and you have the resources. Just do it.
0: it's <laughs> so. yeah, good. Greg, how about you? What, uh, what prompted you to become a CASA?
4: Well, as a Christian, I feel I'm filled with the love of Jesus, and I feel I've been blessed with a servant's heart. I've served 20 years as a U.S. Marine. I've served 22 years in law enforcement, and no matter where I've been, I always felt led by God to serve within my church and always had a position to serve in the church. Well, when I retired from my job a couple years ago, um, God said he wasn't done with me yet. And and led me to be a CASA so I could serve the children. And the children, they're being the most vulnerable and the most innocent uh, members of our society. Uh, Sometimes some things happen and incidents occur where they are removed from their homes and placed in loving foster care. And as a CASA, we are the advocate, we're the voice for these children within the courts, within the processes that they may have to undergo, the services and the programs. But mainly, we take on the uh, rights of those children and advocate for them in courts to the judges and the lawyers and whatever that might be. Because there's only going to be uh, two possible outcomes for their future. One is possible reunification with the family, which would be good to have parents raise their own children. But unfortunately, um, my experience has been that, uh, from what I've seen and what I've experienced, that doesn't happen very often. And the other alternative is uh, termination of parental rights and make the children eligible for adoption. Now, you might ask, does the CASA really have any impact with any of this because we're just volunteers? Well, I can say for a fact that yes, we do. I've had judges tell me face to face that the first report they will read before we go into court is the report from the CASA. Why? because that's not, it's not a job for us. We're doing this because of the way our heart is toward these children. And they know we're going to tell them straight, and we know we're going to come up with the best alternative and recommendations for the future of these children. And, yes, costs do have an impact.
0: That's right.
4: So, Cindy, share
0: with us just a little bit about what Safe Families does and maybe a story that captures, uh, like, just a a time where you've seen all that come together to serve a family well.
1: Sure. So, um, Safe Families, there's a lot of different roles that you can play. Um, One of the key roles is the host who hosts kids in their homes anywhere between a night to three to six weeks, it really varies upon the crisis. Um, You can also play the role of a family coach, which is what I've had the privilege of getting to do. You don't have to have a social work background, you get training, and you get to um, really walk alongside the parent in crisis, uh, encourage them, pray for them, literally walk into a building that might be a great resource for them, pointing them in the right direction. You also get to love on the host families and make sure they and the kids they're hosting and their own kids, if they have them, um, are doing well. Um, There are other roles that you could play, a family friend, a resource friend. You can come and ask more questions about those at the kiosk later if you'd like. Um, One of my favorite stories to share is about a sweet mom named Stacy. Stacy's a single mom that raises two kids on her own. And um, one summer, a couple summers ago, before school started, but towards the end of the summer, um, she had no option for one of her kiddos for daycare, for camp. And if she took more time off of work, she would lose her job. And then ultimately that would mean she would lose her housing.
0: Domino effect after that. Yeah.
1: Definitely. Definitely. So she called Safe Families and asked for help. And we matched her with a host family that um, cared for her kids during the day because she just really needed help during the day some most of our hostings are overnight and um that host family kind of became like a uncle and aunt to stacy's kids and um really extended that support network that stacy didn't have previously and um the host family invited stacy and her family to their church and they've gotten connected stacy's joined a women's bible study and they've gotten to hear about the love of god through this whole process yeah pretty cool
0: that's a really cool story, to see how just all of these services coming together to save a family from getting into a system that's, that is good, and I think it really is trying to do the best for the families and the kids, but that can really become complicated once once they're in it. Yeah. Angie, what would you say to somebody who is considering, um, whether it be becoming a foster parent, a CASA, maybe safe families, even adoption, what would you say to somebody who's considering that right now?
2: My first thought is always pray a lot about it, because these are all really big commitments, but they're really amazing commitments, things that have uh, the capacity to make huge impacts. So definitely a lot of prayer. We have all kinds of paperwork. Ask questions. Don't, you don't have to jump in blindly. Uh, but with that being said, if, if you do feel like God is nudging you that way, uh, please be obedient to it because he will fully equip you whatever you need. He's not gonna call you to something and then leave you hanging. Um, I've said before, it's only, as, it's only scary to the degree you don't know God. He will, perfect love drives out fear. He will take away that fear if you're just willing to trust him. Um, With that being said, I know not everyone with their jobs and other circumstances, even the houses, there's regulations. So not everyone can do foster care um, or may not have the time to be a CASA. Uh, But there are definitely, there's always something you can do. So get in touch with us, with the church, with DCS. Uh, Look for ways you can serve. Another option is respite care. If you're open to that, that is a short term. Um, They can certify you for that when a foster family might need help for a weekend, or sometimes they don't want the foster kids to travel with us, like on vacation. So we have to find someone that they can stay with. And honestly, it's really scary for us. We love them like our own kids. And I would never send out a mass email, like who can take my kids for a week, strangers? Um, And I'm not going to do that with my foster. Like we just wouldn't go. But so, so even we went to Cambodia on the mission trip, we would have never done that if I didn't have a good Christian loving friend that I knew could keep them safe for that time being. So if you could do that kind of thing, like I said, it could be a weekend, it might be Monday through Friday, but at least then you have bookends, you know, the exact date you're signing up for, unlike foster care, that would be amazing. And we would take you up on that. (laughs)
0: That's That's a really good first step to come alongside of those who are providing foster care. Very good. Greg, any final words to, to wrap us up here?
4: Just said, I, I know we all have Jesus' love in us, and that's a great thing, but we need to display it. We need to show the world what Jesus' love is all about, whether it's to help a at-risk family or children um, or just be a greeter at the front door of your church. There is some way you can serve, and when you serve, you're displaying Jesus' love to the world, and I encourage you to do that.
0: Good final word. Thank you all for joining us. Great job. Can we show them our appreciation? before we go there's one there's one more way that we want to introduce to you of how we can serve Uh, we're we're starting a brand new ministry that is rolling out today um, to our our families of servicemen and women and i'm so excited about the team that has been working on this and about being able to offer this to our community and if you want to learn a little bit more about it right now uh, let's check out this this video
5: the purpose of the military ministry here at Sherrod Oaks is really just to let our military families know that resources are available to them and also to give members of the congregation an opportunity to reach out and to help serve those families.
6: A military family ministry really provides community and the support around like our daily lives. So, yes, this is exactly what would be helpful when he's gone. And I have a two-year-old and now we have a toddler and a newborn and thinking like really simple things like. Do you wanna take a nap? Like, I'll come over and take your kids. Like, things that you don't necessarily think would be helpful to people feel so helpful when he's gone for military duty.
5: Any small action is going to be felt. And it doesn't have to be a long commitment. It could be simply meals, home services, that uh, maybe lawn care. Those are the kind of services that we wanna provide because you're a trusted source and you're showing Christ's love through your work.
3: It does a lot for the service member knowing that when I leave, my family's gonna be okay. That's a big thing. We always think about our family, think about our kids and try and do the job we have to do.
5: The biggest benefits of the connection kits will be the opportunity for the military families to record a book or a song for their kids to have while that spouse is deployed
6: so when he James is gone we have with Avery like recorded little videos of him like reading her favorite book or like singing her song before she goes to bed when he's been gone for longer periods of time having the ability to have something that's like this is a little piece of daddy that she like mm. gets every day is super helpful
5: Now that my husband is on the veteran side of the military, I am excited to reach out to the families here that don't have their extended family here in town and that understands to some small degree what your life is like.
3: And for me, it comes down to two big things. One, prayer for all service members because it's hard on all of us, and then being there for my family. You know, when I'm gone, I have my brothers in arms. I have my my unit. I have my other family. And I'm kind of okay in that area. But for me, it's like praying for us and then making sure they're good.
0: Well, good morning. Thank you all for joining us to share a little bit more about the military family ministry. Uh, Why don't we just go down, introduce yourself, and and just share why you have a heart for, for this ministry. That's right.
7: So I'm Desiree Chenault. Um, I'm a military spouse. Uh, My husband's been in the service for 18 years and is still serving um, active duty for the Indiana National Guard. Um, I think I just have a heart, um, not only because I've personally experienced um, times of deployment and even just, um, he still comes and goes quite a bit throughout the year, But I've seen the need in our community and within our church community specifically. Um, We have a lot of military families from all branches um, in Bloomington for various reasons. Um, And we don't have a base. um, And a lot of them don't have family here either. Um, So I just saw a gap that the church Um, could step into and help provide some community and some services.
6: Chelsea. I'm Chelsea Montmoney, and my husband is in the Air Force National Guard stationed in Illinois, so in Peoria. And for me, the heart behind it would be just... I mean, a lot of things that Desiree said, but connecting relationally is huge for me, like being able to have an adult conversation when my husband's gone, like somebody giving me a call at night, Um, being able to be the body of Christ to other families who are going through military service, whether they're deployed or here, being able to love on them and provide whatever they need in that season. So if it's a physical need, like mowing the lawn or helping with laundry, or if it's a relational or spiritual need, being able to just love on people
5: and meet them in that space. My name is Jamie Graby and my husband is a Coast Guard veteran. And uh, my heart is in the military ministry, kind of echoing what Desiree said, mostly because there is a need in our community. And um, I think it is up to us to create this and to put it out there so that military families can know the resources that are available to them. I think it's very common that um, most military families don't naturally ask for help well. And so we're hoping that this ministry can help bridge that gap because um, at least they know what is going to be available through our church.
0: Chelsea, what kind of difference can, can this ministry make in the life of a, of a military family?
6: I think it can make like, all the difference in making daily life feel like livable and like you're thriving and not surviving and trying to get through. I think, um, so we moved here last year and our heater went out the first time it snowed and my husband was gone. And I was just like, I'm from California, so snow is not something I do. And I was like, what, what am I supposed to do? Like, we're gonna freeze. And I didn't know who to call or what to do. And so I think that even in those bigger things, this ministry would have given me someone to call or contact that I could have trusted to come into my house and to help me and walk through that. So I think in those big things, it would mean a lot. And then even things I know when we met and we're talking like, adoptive families like being able to celebrate holidays together or like make Christmas cookies or things that you would just kind of get to do if you had extended family or community that you had already been building and hadn't been moving for um, military service.
0: Jamie what would you say to somebody who's considering going out and signing up and then like what are some of the different ways that they can serve within the ministry?
5: So we are going to have a kiosk right outside the doors after the service that if you're interested in um, providing your time, your services, your gifts, Those are the kind of things that we're looking for today. Um, There will be a little card for you to take with the church's website that you can go and register. Um, And then once we kind of get a feel for what you're able to offer and what your gifts and talents are, we'll be able to match you up with the military families and what their specific needs are as well. And again, we just think this is a great way for people to um, do more than just say thank you to someone that is serving. This is actually going to give them a tangible way to
7: help out our families.
0: That's right. That's right.
7: Um, I would add to Jamie too, that if you're a military family, also please stop at the kiosk. Um, we want to know you, we want to know who you are so that we can get you connected and get you, um, in community.
0: Any final words?
7: Um, I'll just say kind of what I said in the other services about um, a lot of people like to thank military members and families for their service, um, and it's so appreciated. But this is an, a way that you can take your thank you and turn it into an action mm. um, to build relationship um, right here in our church. So
0: it's great. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the
6: three things we're kind of looking for in military family partners are people who really have any kind of heart, we want to connect and figure out how you can fit in. But our three big things we're looking for is people giving, people serving, and people mentoring. And so in those ways to be able to walk alongside military families in these seasons.
0: That's great. If you want to learn more, stop by their kiosk. It's a great new ministry, and I'm excited to see what God does with it. Thank you all for sharing with us today. Can we give them a hand? Appreciate you. So one of the reasons why we are rolling out this ministry today is because tomorrow is Veterans Day, and we thought, what a better way to show our appreciation to those men and women who have served than by, by talking about how we are going to come alongside of our active service men and women and care for them uh, when a family member is deployed. But right now, we do want to take a moment in our service to recognize our veterans. And so if you served at any branch of the military at some point in your life, would you please stand, uh, if you're able, would you please stand? so that we can just acknowledge you, recognize you, and show you our gratitude. And if you are a Marine, happy birthday. So here's why this matters so much. There are four Gospels in the Bible. If you're familiar with Scripture, you know they're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are the the four accounts of Jesus' life. We can read any of those and we can learn about who Jesus was, what he was like, what he did, how how he loved. But the truth is, is that for many people in our world today, many people in our own community, they'll never pick up their Bible and open up to one of those gospels. And so really the only story that they're going to read about Jesus' life is what they read in your life, is what they read in you. It's it's the story of Jesus that they see lived out in you. They're watching your life to see who Jesus is, what he's like your life is telling a story of Jesus. And the question that I have for you today is what kind of story is your life telling? Is it, is it the same story that they hear from everyone else every other day of the week? Or is it a story of saying, God, I am surrendering myself to you. Use me for your glory. Is it a story that's saying, I know that as a follower of Jesus, I am being sent out to serve others. The story of a life that has been set apart by Jesus, for Jesus, so that the world may know Jesus. Let me tell you, the clearest way people will see Jesus in you is when they see you serving others clearest way that people are going to read the account of Jesus and who he is and what he's like is when they see you going out, taking on his attitude and his actions and serving others. We have been sent out to serve. May we be a church and a people that live like Jesus for the glory of God, for the good of others, so that more people may know the hope and the life that is only found in Jesus.